welcome everyone to another podcast of Consciousness Matters by Justine Hickman and Peter Tad. And uh, today I'm here again with my very dear friend, Susie Hodder Williams. And today we're going to talk about the word muse and amuse or am muse and music. So as a curiosity, it just sort of popped into my head. We know that in the Greek mythology, there were these beings who would come and inspire us, and they were called the muses. And even more recently, you sometimes hear authors who are struggling with writer's block, and the muse hasn't arrived, and then when the muse arrives, it just happens. And I know but I've had experiences like that in my own life, actually in my very early days, dropping out of the madness of the world, living in a small plywood shack on the side of a hill in western Massachusetts, where I began to stop engaging with anything that dealt with um, the news, uh, even reading books. And I gave myself a year of complete abstinence from reading anything other than my own writing, dream diaries, and what happened over that time for me was that I started to unwind. There's a term called unlearning. Um, and, and this is something that isn't unique to me. There are other people who have done this, actually famous people, like the architect um, Buckminster Fuller, who did a Zazen retreat for a couple of years staring at a wall to just let everything pour out. And only then, when he got rid of all of that, learning from his university days, did he come up with these extraordinary insights into geometry and architecture. He's famous for the geodesic dome. But for the mind to receive that, for the muses to arrive, he had to create the space. And, and we talked a little bit about that last time when you were here, uh, about space and how music and creativity move through you. Um, so do you, do you have stories to share around that yourself? Well, it's funny, I've never thought of amusing and the muse and music before, but um, it's so important to have that um, connection and inspiration with um, muse. And for some reason, for me, I it's very connected with a kind of blue figure for me, like a blue figure of light that I see when I meditate. Mm, okay. There's something there that is, um, I've never thought about it before today. Well, actually I have thought about it before today, but it's been very heightened with you asking me about it. Um, it there's, there's some connection with that that um, is a drive or a feeding for me for my music or what I'm doing work-wise. So, I mean, are you saying that that driving force is a being? I'm, yeah, or my, I think it is a being. I don't know whether it's my connection with that or whether it is that force is a being. Yeah. yeah. Or is that, in a sense, it gets to be an interesting, you know, proposition, you know, about where we start and stop. And so is that, since we're connected to everything, and that is a distinct image of a being is that could be also an extension of yourself it could just be another part of you reflecting back to you or it could be a completely different being and it may not matter at all 
but it's a really interesting sometimes I do that with myself saying I have voices that talk to me and guides that give me information and the information is so much not what I have programmed in my mind or experienced in this life and it's completely new and revelatory and, and that goes back to the story I was starting to share about living in this plywood shack for a while because once I had unwound sort of just dispersed all the things that were going on on an intellectual mental level um, I would start to receive uh, lyrics to songs and I just have to write them down and write them down on anything like many musicians have said in the past and it was really like people use the word like download I would just write line after line after line and sometimes I would change a line but I never sat down to write the song the song wrote itself and then it was accompanied by music and unlike yourself I didn't experience another you know force I just felt that it sort of came upon me as a feeling more like in, in our first talk about you know the experience of seeing and understanding how much the water element and the fluidity and the non-structure of music is part of your mus musician's being um, it's more like a feeling like you're like a current is moving through you and all of a sudden you're catching the current and then the current manifests in this case as as language uh, that has uh, a story and, it, and it's flowing through you um, and so we could call it whatever we could call it channeling or we could call it just sensing the moment uh, and, and you know we've heard this a lot I mean I recently was reviewing some of the lives of Leonard Cohen and um, Arlo Guthrie and Bob Dylan you especially with Dylan I mean he said he never wrote a song in his life <laughs> uh, maybe a lot of part of his life he said he had to sort of force lyrics but in the beginning you know the muse shows up and it is amusing because it's not um, forced it's not serious yeah it's very delightful and yeah. unexpected yeah and I think the unexpectedness and the, and the spontaneity that it creates is just fantastic and so for me the blue shape or the figure or something is almost like a visual uh, reminder or um, it's just like right now here we are here it is and um, I don't know I've like just recently my dreams have become my muse in essence I'm sort of dreaming shapes or pots or um, more structured um, yeah pots that have got patterns almost like mandala, mandalas mm. one after the other with shapes but the the pot in itself is a shape and that is for me that is the muse that is the piece in a way I'm hearing but it's a, that is the muse that and the, um, I've never connected with the music but you know it's sort of kind of obvious mm. it's like get that down put that translate that now kind of energy mm. that I'm sensing um, muse because the muses are always you wonder where they are when they're not with you. <laughs> they're busy. <laughs> yeah, they're busy amusing Hanging other out. people. Yeah. Um, and, and and that sort of 
sort of on and off switch that happens within us, like when all of a sudden we're on. Yeah. And you know you're on. And as a performer, you know that very well, don't you? Very much, yes. And in and phases, like maybe rushing up to the um, equinox or I can sense this flow of of that kind of energy that's just is is leading the way and I'm just riding the wave as you say you know and sometimes I experience it in meeting people mm. where this kind of element is coming through them and acts as a as a wave for me to sort of raise my game in essence mm, mm. and um yeah um create create by in through inspiration i suppose yeah so i guess what i'm all of a sudden taking away from this very spontaneous conversation is that <clears throat> when we use a term like muse we, we often all of a sudden start to think of it in these classical terms where this very lithe attractive being you know has come and sit upon your shoulder and is whispering all this magical wisdom in your ear you know and that it has to somehow have that sort of staging where in fact it can be an inspiration or another person or like you said a, a feeling that has to do with the seasons or the the moon becoming fuller and all of a sudden there's a different quality of light there's something else and and this undefined and, and not needing to be sort of consciously understood, but simply felt and trusted sense to go with and giving ourselves to those sort of nudges and openings. And I think that requires, from a therapist's point of view, you know, there has to be a lot of um, unarmoring that we do around our bodies because of unfortunate circumstances, childhood traumas, and any kind of things that that leave us guarded or or fixed or frozen in our bodies that makes it all the harder to sense these more subtle subtle yeah beings I think. beings around and those because feelings themselves if they haven't been addressed any feeling then is somehow associated with a potential past experience that's negative and if you haven't gone there then you, you can't allow it to flow through your body, literally. Mm. It kind of stops. It, yes. it hits that armor plating, and then you go into your headspace, and you get analytical, and you might try to guess what this is, but by that time, you know, the, the current has weakened. It absolutely, yes. You know, and, and the idea goes... The way, yeah. <clears throat> and so um, I, I think this is really perhaps a, a, another way to, you know, share some of our own experiences around our own personal development and growth. Um, in the very beginning of my own journey, spirituality was me, for me, and I think for many people, um, was a way to escape from what we saw as the confines of our immediate environment. And I mean that sort of culturally, you know, life is about this, about getting a job, about achieving and everything was based on advancement in a very materialistic sense. And that felt restrictive, confining, and really unsatisfying because it didn't have depth of meaning and, and, a, and, a, and a really sense of connection. But it's what everybody was doing, marching in step. To really you know, confront one's own issues 
to release trauma. And, and as a therapist, I, I see so much trauma locked up in the physical body. And so I've worked a lot with techniques where I put muscles into stress and then release them because I can see with my clairvoyance that the stress is in the, the shoulder or the back or the leg. And when the muscle releases, the mind clears. And so the relationship of the body and the mind and the overall presence of our self is, is addressed in that way. And, and, and I can say that knowing you for the last two decades, you know, you, you resonate differently because of your own personal work, work you've done on your own and with other people, and then the way you, you have learned to uh, feel and sense more and more refined dimensions. And, and, and this is where, you know, I'm holding back in a lot of these podcasts, some of my understandings, because it requires a certain degree of experiential knowledge, not just something that can, can be imparted in, you know, written or spoken word. And it's not to limit, you know, the audience or keep the audience from, you know, those levels. But I mean, I'm working with 19 chakras, for example, and for most people, that's already overwhelmed. Sorry, game over. Um, and I know when I'm teaching that it's always starting with the body chakras, getting a sense of them, getting a feel how they move front to back how the energy moves, as you said in the earlier podcast, through the vertical axis that runs from the top of the head through the base of the spine. And, and as that begins to be more aligned and um, felt, then the next layer is like an octave, the next octave of energies that have all these correspondences with the body chakras because the next set of seven all have correspondences. And then there's a supra level of five that go into more of like a sort of quantum relationship um, to creative universe, physical universe. Um, so um, not to get lost because I just started to go out as I was tuning into those super cosmic chakras. But to get back to this talk about space and body and feel and the um, not the hard work that often people associated with going to therapy and dealing with stuff and stirring the pot or the hard work of putting your ass on the cushion every day and having to do practice but much more the amusing joyfulness of it all so i'd like to hear oh, lovely. Some yeah i just want to give a little example of that um so one of the weekends where we came and met um my dad had just died and i hadn't seen you since my dad had died right. and we were we were doing this workshop together and i obviously it was my everything within me was very heightened and i came into a room where there are lots of people and we we looked at each other and mm. met and I've no idea what you were feeling but I sensed that you totally understood my grief and met it there and there was a choice in, for me I saw that um, I could have broken down and cried mm. but the first thing you did with me was you 
put your arm out and we dance like together, almost like a jig, but in a circular motion. And the whole of the grief, which was still there, of course, but it was just total joy as well. Mm. And um, I remember it, it was, it's just such a beautiful turn of events because it's the same energy, the grief and the joy was the same meeting and the connection that was so powerful and so healing. But for me, it just shows you how simple these things can be. You know, it doesn't have to be heavy or difficult to transform things or just to connect with those sensations or feelings or experiences. Another another um, thing I think you've said to me in the past or we've talked about is just turn over the other hand. Just look, so you're looking at one side of your hands and actually if you just turn the hand the other way, that's a great perspective to get just to look at another alternative and it's mm. it's the simple the simple things that can really heal Yeah, and, and as you say that, I'm just going to follow on with your hand gestures because one of the things that um, we both have been using in our meditations are the positions of the hands known as hand mudras. And so a mudra is a Sanskrit word meaning symbol. And um, my own body started to speak in sign language, um, I don't know how many years ago, almost 50 at this point, and um, it was really strange because it was totally automatic. I've never studied sign language, and I went to one of these psychic fairs, and there was a man there at lunch, and I was moving my hands in this very uh, not spastic way, but you know, I had no idea. And he said that I was signing, and I could feel that my hands were talking. And he then explained to me that I wasn't signing in the traditional modern American sign language. And I said, well, I'd had a past life memory of being in France with a friend of mine that I was working with at the time, um, a Bob Madrigan. And uh, I saw Bob and I as monks in a past life and he was a healer, but he was, he was deaf and we were using sign language. And then there was the revelation. He said, well, you were actually using sign language from a French monastery. And that that sign language came with the U.S. and then was sort of modernized in the American way. Uh, so as, as remarkable as that story may sound, for me, the bigger takeaway was the fact that I became very aware of my hands and that my hands um, had something to say and to move. And, and I'm thinking that in terms of when I picture my own mind of muse, I'm seeing that the hands are doing something in a really special way that somehow is communicating their energies and thoughts to, um, you know, the creative person receiving that. And that, that from that moment on, when I began and continued my various uh, forms of meditation, my hands would start to move spontaneously and take position in front of my body. And, and these became more and more... Um, evident and spontaneous 
so that I realized that my, when my hand was at the level of a chakra, it was actually affecting that chakra. And some of those positions are classical hand mudras that you can find online from India. And some of them, you know, are just simply something that has come through my hand. For those, you know, who are very involved with or interested or practicing meditation, it's one of the things I'd really like to encourage is when you're sitting and you're focusing on whether it's your breath and your posture, and then as you go into your meditation, one way to not get caught up in daily thoughts in your head is just go, like you said, get another perspective on what side of the hand. Is it up? Is it down? And because of the relationships of the hands to the heart, and in the chakra system, there are a couple of ways that exist because there's a sense that's associated with each of the chakras and the sense for the heart is touch. So when we are attentive of our placement of our hands, we're feeling how they are, whether the palms are down or the backs of the hands are on the legs and the palms are up, but you're touching the energy or feeling the energy in the hands and then whether the fingertips make contact and which ones do, you cannot be in your head at the same time. It is not possible. And so like in, again, our, our earlier talk together, um, these, uh, like touching that point below the kneecap, there's a body-mind triggering uh, integration that happens with this awareness in the hands. And so regardless of whether you're doing Zen meditation or you're doing Buddhist meditation or any form of um, mindfulness, you know. Um, when I say mind, immediately my focus comes to my forehead because that's where our brain is and that's what we, where we say the mind is. But if we bring the attention to the hands, you relax the body, even if like you try to breathe through your your palms or feel that the palms are open in the front and the back of the hand. Um, the body is also the mind. Um, and so the body-mind um, and a lot of our knowledge, um, and I won't go into that whole topic of the abdominal mind because many of you know that, which is to say not to get too, uh, not to reinforce the relationship of mind and head, but mind and entire body. And, and that's that's where the chakras come in as well, because there are only two chakras in the head, or three if you include the dream chakra. And then all the other ones are in the body. And so if you then allow your hands to move spontaneously in front of your chakras, that will help with the flow of energy. And meditation is about movement. It's not about holding, it's not about a static state, it's not about a blank state, it's about a quiet state. But in that quiet and silence, there's flow. And that flow can appear and you can experience it as sound, as inner silence, as a shifts in the way your body is. You can feel it in terms of changes of temperature. You can experience it as light that appears to your mind's eye. And that light can have form, it can be a picture, it can be geometric, it can have color, tone, and texture. And we just allow all of that to happen. 
but it's this opening it's this letting go and as in the classical image of the lotus opening the body opens and, and that's very very natural when you are aware and pay attention to what's happening from your heart down through your arms to your hands and unlike myself you may not have that spontaneous urge or prompting with your hands and so just experiment with palms down in the beginning and then palms up and then you can put the right hand in the the left and just cup the hand slightly and place them right in front of the pubic bone you can raise them up to the navel and just feel what happens when the hands move from being on the sides to the, the vertical uh, quality of your body. Uh, so I'm, I'm just going to stop there because, I mean, this is a little bit of a guided um, meditation, this podcast, um, but it, it naturally um, flowed from our, our discussion. So maybe you can help me out because I'm running out of yeah, words. Yeah, well, what, what, I suppose my favorite um, mudra, these hand positions, is when you take your right hand and you just cup it in front of your heart and point the fingers upwards and this this is called the puja flame mudra but it just changes like you were saying how it transforms your body and it changes the essence of the energy particularly for me in the nose and my breathing and for me this is like the perfect place to play the flute something it it just is changing my body into being that flute so um I've really noticed as as a flute player how how I when I hold the flute the, the energy is coming out of my hands and just through the fingertips onto the flute and it's this extension of energy that comes through the hands that creates the music for me so learning about the mudras and all the different hand positions has been very powerful for me just to have an understanding of the most balanced, at ease place that the body can possibly be in, in order to create, or to to perform, or to live, or just to be um, in a place of, of true health and, um, yeah, balance. So the hand positions give structure to to the body, and they they just help with the health of the body, I think. Mm. I think that's this whole idea, again, of movement. Uh, that, you know, for people who aren't familiar with meditation, it's, it's sometimes it's the idea of, like, time out, you know, and then going back into life. And this is kind of a pause. And that's very true, in, I think, in the very early stages of learning how to be still. But once you can calm and can stop the, the chatter of the mind, as the stillness expands and there's a greater awareness, then there's an awareness of movement. And I think that's where the, the mudras come in. And it was interesting watching you as you placed your hands in puja mudra in front of your heart, as I saw this like candle flame of light enter your heart chakra. And you had mentioned about the fire element before in our earlier podcast. And so that's, I didn't realize you, you did that, you know, to help yourself in your performance. So then that fire is, that's now been ignited and now that's moving through your body again. 
and and this so much helps break down this artificial separation my body and my mind as opposed to body mind or mind body and even the separation i uh, how i've used the mudras as well is is how to bring without even realizing but it's bringing a spirituality into living so if you're standing in a queue and it's not feeling great you just put your hands in a in a position a mudra position and it changes the whole energy of your body and you feel great standing in that queue and you'll probably meet the person of your dreams in that queue as a result because you're so in alignment or you know it just it just shifts something um and it's a great way to live i Obviously, as a musician, I I sit in an orchestra often. So if you're coming up to a uh, solo that might be nerve-wracking, mm-hmm. you can ground yourself in a place using the mudras, or nice. um, you can inspire yourself with, particularly with the puja flame mudra. I do it quite subtly, but you know it's amazing what you can do subtly when no one's looking, including <laughs> in the bus queue. <laughs> so I mean, it's that's very interesting about being self-conscious. But also here you are as professional in a huge orchestra and you have a big audience looking at you and you don't want to look like a nutcase putting your hands in weird positions. So um, it's, o- it's obvious the ones on the knees I was is, say, is very... Yes, and many musicians do it naturally without even necessarily realizing. Right. And some do realize and mm. recognize it but you if you look around will often ground themselves and do that anyway when they've got uh, something uh, hairy coming up right um you know it's and it's it's a useful tool and naturally when you're thinking you might put your hands in a position of thought or right. but i think you can quite subtly um create uh, particularly things resting on your knees different different mudras okay you can so that's unobtrusive and not uh, yeah sitting yeah. down in an orchestra no one would see that yeah i've even shut my eyes you know people do shut their eyes in bars rest you know some brass players okay. have to wait for hours you know right. uh, chike four um symphony you have to wait for two movements before you play a note and so it's very <laughs> useful to to just you know that you know i find a different place to be yeah right while so, staying in the moment, yeah, I think that's yeah. the key, bringing you more into the moment. Yeah. And 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 the whole it's a, that interesting sort of back and forth then between the body and the mind, and how you're saying you see that naturally that people know how to ground. And when I was speaking earlier, I mean that if you had experimented that as we were giving the podcast, I mean that is what almost everyone says is when the hands are down, the energy flows down and. You're connecting more to your feet and to the earth. When you turn your palms up, you're connecting to the sky because that's part of how the hands work. They're the receptors, the receivers, as well as senders. And and to be really aware of how um, we do that. In um, many of the statues of some Hindu deities, but also with Tibetan Buddhism, there are eyes in the palms, and uh, the my my daily practice of white Tara, she has an eye in each palm and in the soles of her feet, and in her forehead, her third eye. So and her two eyes. So these are called the seven eyes of wisdom. 
and that takes us almost into a whole other extension of this, you know, like, well, what is wisdom? And so here we are speaking that there's ancient wisdom that we can learn going back, looking at drawings and texts that really do go back thousands of years. And then there's this wisdom that the body naturally has. And so your own body has a, a, a library of uh, texts of wisdom. And by becoming more and more aware of the feelings and the power within the body and the chakras being one way to really understand the flow and, dis and very distinct expressions of the body and mind, it's all there. Uh, it's not something that has to be you know, accessed externally. And the last thing I want to share about this in this podcast is that meditation is all about where you place your attention. And, and if you only place your attention on the breath, that's as far as you'll go. Once you've done that and you relax the body, you place your attention on a particular part of the chakra system, on the, on the, the overall axis, the light above the head, or the energy in the center of the earth, or on the expansion of the galaxy or cosmos. Just by placing your attention there, you begin to connect directly with your mind to that dimension. And, and this is something that you can again do on your own spontaneously or you know I'm more than happy to um, direct you to my website which is petertad.com. Um, there's some information there and courses that I teach and writings that are going to be coming out, books about this system. And as I said earlier, it's intricate. It takes time as everything does, it's you know valuable to have that direct experience. Uh, but each person will be starting from a different place. So we're not trying to make this sound like this is going to be a lifetime of work. But that there are ways to learn how to be more and more uh, aware and to activate and to be inspired and strengthened. And as you were saying, even physically, all of a sudden, when the energy shifts <laughs> in that kind of way that you described, you know, you're, we're tapping into something. And, and this goes back into the areas of chi uh, and qigong, where there are masters who are able to draw in cosmic energies and do amazing things. And the same with some of the Tibetan High Lamas, stories that really go beyond our... Um, belief that anything like that is closely, remotely possible. Because it's not anything that, that we can associate with from history or anybody we know. And that's this unfortunate disconnect with the past. So the last thing I wanted to say about that is that often people who think about me as clairvoyant, they associate clairvoyance with the future. And one thing I, I learned from my muses in the very beginning is that in order to go forward, you have to go backward. So I, I use the image of like drawing a, a bow, a string of a bow back. So in order to shoot the arrow ahead into the future, you have to bring your arm all the way back, all the way past your ear. And that kind of moving back, backwards. Um, and when you do that, uh, then you can bring all of that rich, 
history, like we said in the earlier podcast about sacred geometry and the knowledge that was there, um, somehow dismissed and forgotten in the modern age, and yet is as contemporary and as important as it's ever been. So that's the last thing I wanted to offer in this podcast. Do you have any? I love that as a Sagittarian. (laughs) (laughs) That bow and arrow that couldn't be more beautiful. The future and the past, bringing it with that power, fabulous. So uh, I really thank you again for taking the time to to share your wisdom and your presence here with the listening audience. And so once again, um, until next time, this is Consciousness Matters. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of Consciousness Matters. We hope that you've enjoyed this podcast and will join us for our next episode. In the meantime, if you're interested in finding out more about Peter Tad and his work, you can find him at petertad.com or follow him on Facebook. If you've enjoyed the Consciousness Matters music and would like to hear more or attend one of the Blue Concerts, Music for Meditation, you can go to susiehodderwilliams.com or jerrycroziercole.com or follow at Blue Concerts on Twitter. Thanks again for listening. Please do rate, subscribe 